nutrition, gut health, mental health, hormones, and so much more. These all play roles in sustainable weight management. So, I scoured the globe with top experts in fitness, health, and weight loss to bring to you this podcast. So take a seat and enjoy the ride. So welcome back to the Matter of a Mind experience. Of course, I'm your host, master trainer and weight management expert, Narado Zico Powell. And today I have for you, WN Glenn Livingston, PhD. <laughs> He's a double N Glenn. Double N Glenn. There we go. Double N Glenn. He's a veteran psychologist and was the longtime CEO of a multi million dollar consulting firm, which serviced several Fortune 500 companies in the food industry. But Glenn started realizing some things, right? Because he disillusioned by what traditional psychology had to offer to the overweight or food obsessed individuals. Dr. Glenn, Dublin Glenn, spent several decades researching the nature of binging, yes, that is a word, binging, and overeating via work of his, with his own patients and self-funded research program with more than 40,000 40, participants. How come, how did I almost get that word wrong? 40,000 participants, right? 40,000 people. It's a big, it's a big number. It was back when internet clicks were cheap, but yeah. Pretty much it's too, uh, it's too big for my little brain to comprehend. So it's 40,000 people. That's a lot of people though. That's a lot of people, 40,000 participants, right? So, but most importantly though, he has his, he, he was on his own journey out of obesity and food prison to now a normal, healthy weight and a much more lighthearted relationship with food. So not only has he done his own research and he has tons of experience, but experience doing it himself and has been on that journey. And of course, once you start that journey, you're always on that journey. So listen very closely to this interview. And of course, with the rebranding, every episode, we have a hack for you. And in today's hack, Dr. Glenn Livingston is going to explain how to create your own food plan. So stick around for that answer. And with that being said, let's get started. Hey, Glenn, how are you doing today? I'm doing really well. I've been looking forward to this all week long. I've been looking forward for the last two months. So, you know, maybe I'm a little more excited. You win. (laughs) So tell, tell my audience about yourself. Well, you know, I think you told them the most important thing, which is I'm I'm not just a doctor who decided to work with overeaters. I I really did this of necessity. I had a very serious uh, binging and overeating problem myself and probably started when I was 16 or 17. And I figured out that if I worked out two or three hours a day, I could eat whatever I wanted to. You know, you can't tell from the video, but I'm six foot four. I'm modestly muscular, not from working hard at it, but just from luck, luck of the draw. And fortunately, unfortunately, that meant that if I spent two or three hours in the gym, I could have whole pizzas and boxes of muffins and boxes of munchkins and lattes and donuts. And it 
anything you could imagine that wasn't nailed down. And when I was a kid, I didn't think that was a problem. It was like Doug Graham says, more like a superpower. I, I felt like I discovered this really secret trick. Um, and I was just really happy about it. I spent an awful lot of time eating, I spent an awful lot of time pooping, but um, it didn't really matter. I was, I was happy. When I got married and I was 22 years old and I was commuting two hours a day each way to, um, to go to work and you know, see patients and go to school, and then I'd come home and I'd have to deal with the business and stuff. I, I didn't have time to work out maybe, you know, a half an hour a week, much less two hours a day. And my metabolism had slowed down a little bit. And um, I found that the food still had a hold on me. I, I would be sitting with, you know, patients who were talking to me about feeling suicidal. And I'd be thinking, when can I get a whole pizza? or had about six chocolate bars, you know? And that really bothered me much more than the weight. I mean, the weight started to catch up with me a little bit, but um, much more than the weight. I, it was always critical to me to be a good psychologist. I come from a family of 17 psychotherapists, um, mom and dad and my sister and her husband and my step-parents and my cousins and my uncles. And, you know, I, even the family dog will ask you how you're feeling. It's, it's, um, it, it's, it was always in my blood and it's the most important thing to me. It was, was the most important thing to me. But I, I couldn't be totally present for it because I was just thinking about food all the time. And you've got to be present as a psychologist. It's not, it's not like a game of intellect where you're solving a jigsaw puzzle. It's really more like getting people to love and trust you enough to think new thoughts and take new actions and leave the person who they were behind in many ways. Um, and so, I kind of went on my own quest to figure it out back then. Now, I had a dual career. The, the business was consulting for big companies, largely in the food and pharmaceutical industries. Um, and that, that part of the quest did lead me to realize some things later on, which I'll tell you in a minute. But early on, I didn't realize that. And um, I really thought that solving my food problem was more like filling the hole in my heart. I thought, you know, I'm a psychologist. And so, of course, I thought this. I thought if I can fill the hole in my heart, then I don't have to keep trying to fill the hole in my stomach. And I wasn't really happy in the marriage. And I wasn't happy about a, a bunch of other things. And so I kind of I went on this quest and I saw uh, the best psychologists and psychiatrists. And I took medication for a little while. And I went to Overeaters Anonymous. And I went to nutritionists and dietitians and um, you know, I went to some really high quality top people and I learned a lot of things and I don't regret it at all because I, it's part of the um, kind of soulful part of my journey. But in terms of the food, I would get a little better and a lot worse, a little better and a lot worse. And I kind of stair set my way up. Um, at worst, the last time I weighed myself at worst, I was about 257. And um, I probably got up towards 300 because I just got fed up with weighing myself. And I was miserable. You know, my triglycerides were, I have a test that said they're over 1,000. My um, psoriasis and eczema and rosacea and early Hashimoto's and all, all types of problems. Um, but I kept going back to chocolate and pizza, chocolate and pizza, chocolate and pizza, chocolate and pizza. And then three things happened, which caused me to flip the paradigm or the lens through which I was looking at all this. 
And I'll, I'll tell you what the answer was in the end. It, it was to be more like an alpha dog in my own mind, um, more so than trying to heal my inner wounded child. It was more like taking control of this part of me that didn't care about my best thinking or my goals or my dreams or my relationships. Um, and the three things were, I was doing a bunch of work for the food industry. And I won't tell you specific companies, but you'd recognize them in a heartbeat. And um, I saw that they were spending millions, if not billions of dollars, engineering these hyper palatable concentrations of starch and sugar and fat and excitotoxins and salt. And, and, and it was all geared to hit the bliss point in the reptilian brain without giving us enough nutrition to feel satisfied. I'll say that again. Hit the bliss point in the reptilian brain without giving us enough nutrition to feel satisfied. The result of that is an addictive feeling. You're looking for more, you're looking for more, you're looking for more. And, you know, I, I learned about how they, um, you know, how they engineer the advertising so it pushes your evolutionary buttons. Like, like for example, one of the VPs of marketing of a major food bar manufacturer explained to me that the most profitable thing they ever did was to take the vitamins out of the bar and put them into the packaging instead. Because if they made the packaging a diverse, multicolored, shiny image, you'd be hitting the, the parts of the reptilian brain that said, eat the rainbow. Were you signaling me? Did you want to say something? No. So, so you, you would be, um, you'd be eating the rainbow. And if you do eat the rainbow, you have a salad with blueberries and you know yellow peppers and carrots and green lettuce and you know red tomatoes you're getting a diversity of micronutrients there's a reason that we're attracted to color like that it's an evolutionary advantage but here they're being like parasites and they're they're acting as if that diversity of micronutrients were available and they're taking them out and they don't mean to single out the food bar manufacturers this goes on across the industry everywhere um, so I said, well, big food and big advertising is faking us out, you know? So, and that has, that has nothing to do with the fact that I'm in a bad marriage or maybe my mama didn't feed me right or she didn't love me enough or, you know, cuddle me when I wanted to or that I peeked at my sister when I shouldn't have when I was a kid or something like that. It, it doesn't have anything to do with my personality and my struggles. It, it has to do with my physiology, you know, the, the neuroanatomy that says, just hand over the chocolate and nobody gets hurt. And I look more into the neuroanatomy about things, and it turns out that I'm, I'm busy trying to heal myself with love with, about my food problem, but the reptilian brain doesn't know love. The reptilian brain doesn't know love. So if this is a reptilian brain, it looks at something in the environment and it says, do I eat it, do I mate with it, or do I kill it? Eat, mate, or kill. There's no love there. The mammalian brain, which evolved later, or maybe God put it there, I don't know, it doesn't really matter. Um, the mammalian brain says, whoa there, Nelly, before you eat, mate, or kill that thing, what impact is that going to have on your people and your tribe and your family and the people that you love? And then the neocortex, which is on top of that, says, before you eat, mate, or kill that thing, what impact will that have on the kind of person that you're trying to be, on your longer term pursuits and your dreams and your goals? on your art and your music and your spirituality and the contribution that you're trying to make in the world and your character. So th those are much more upper brain functions, but the overeating seems to be linked to this feast and famine response that says, you have to have this now or you're gonna starve. 
right? Same thing as the, fi the fight or flight response or the, um, or, or the freeze response. It's, it's an emergency mechanism, but it's gone awry and it's been stolen by, um, by industry. So I always say, I don't think that we overeaters have a disease. I think we have a healthy appetite that's been stolen by industry and that every time that you are looking for satisfaction at the bottom of a bag or a box or a container, there's some fat cat in a white suit with a mustache that's laughing all the way to the back, right? Now, I mean, it's kind of funny, but it's not because people that are really overtaken by the grips over overeating, they think about it all day long. Um, you know, when am I going to get the next you know, donut, how many am I going to have? How am I going to stop myself? How am I going to make up for it? Where do I hide the evidence? How, how much weight am I going to gain? How do I make up for that? It, it goes on and on and on and on. It overtakes your presence of mind. It overtakes your ability to think about other things. It's a miserable way to live. It's, it's really miserable. Um, and so this shift to recognize, wait a minute, I'm not a sicko. There's nothing horribly wrong with me. Um, I could fix this. I just need to know how to mount a defense against, the, against this incredibly strong offense. And then you add to that, that um, in terms of the outside forces that don't have to do with your personality, you add to that the fact that we're given the wrong advice, where we're told to um, eat healthy 90% of the time and eat badly 10% of the time. Now, in and of itself, that's not bad advice, right? That's not by in and of itself, it's not bad advice. The problem is that there's no guidance about which is the 90% and which is the 10%. And it turns out that our willpower is very much related to the number of decisions we have to make throughout the day. So if you're saying I'm going to eat well 90% of the time and I'm going to eat badly 10% of the time, and you're faced with 300 food decisions a day, you're going to wear down your willpower. You're standing in front of a, a chocolate bar at Starbucks and you don't know, is this the good part or the bad part? Am I supposed to indulge or not? You're, you're, you're going to run out of willpower. And there, I mean, there are studies where uh, it's not only food decisions that run down people's willpower, it's uh, intellectual decisions. Like people have trouble resisting marshmallows if you make them do math problems first. So it's, there's a perfect storm. There's a perfect storm in our society so that the adaptation most people seem to have is that we're all going to tacitly support each other to slowly commit suicide with food. That's what people are doing. If you look at how people are eating and you can really dig into the studies and you see the impact on it, we're all just kind of making jokes about it and we're slowly killing ourselves with food. And I mean, let me to cut you off, but uh, you said something about the 90% and the 10%. And I wanted to kind of elaborate on that piece a little bit because yeah. that's, that's a very personal thing of mine where I saw war with my clients where I tell them I don't believe in that mentality because it comes down to a relationship with food. We have a mindset of if something is healthy, it tastes bad or, you know, I'm not going to enjoy it. So I need to punish and I'm sorry. I need to celebrate my wins with my 10% or with my, um, I guess you call it a, what they call it? cheat day. Yes. Celebrate it with my cheat day where I'm going to eat what I actually want. So then I think, and correct me if you think I'm wrong or maybe if you want to elaborate on that piece, because I think that if you have a better relationship with food, you wouldn't necessarily be thinking, oh, if I'm eating healthy, then it may, I'm, just, I'm just getting through it because I'm looking forward to that 10% right. where I can cheat. Right, right. And just the concept of the cheating in and of itself um, says that you're going to be miserable the rest of the week. You're just going to be a, you're going to be a good boy so you can be a bad boy later. 
you know, do what you have to do so you can do what you really want to do. And it's, it's a different relationship with food. It's like having an antagonistic relationship with food. We, we, we recommend, I say we, I have business partners and coaches that work with me and whatnot. We recommend a philosophy we call eating by design. Now, there are some things that you might have to give up. Like for me personally, I can't eat chocolate. I, I tried 24 ways to Sunday to figure out how I could have it just on weekends, just after big workouts. My sister takes two little squares off of a chocolate bar and she puts the rest in her purse. She says, I'm going to save it for later. And I'm like, good for you. Good for you. <laughs> it's, just, it's just not something I can do. Some people can do that. Um, so there are, with any given food substance, there are abstainers and moderators. But if I'm two out of three people don't really have to give it up, um, what, what they need to do is put parameters around it. So you could say, I will only ever have chocolate on a Saturday and no more than, you know, four ounces or something like that. Or, you know, I, I never eat bread except at a restaurant and no more than twice per calendar week, right? And when there are, and, and maybe you even say, you know, more than, no more than three pieces at the restaurant or something like that. When there are parameters around it, the decisions have been made. So you're not, you're not agonizing every time you're in front of a piece of bread and burning that brain glucose that let you exert your willpower, you can save that for more important decisions in your life. So I find that when people eat by design, when they take an inventory of the difficult food areas in their life, and they put parameters around them, and they say, what role do I want this food to have in my life? How often do I want it? Do I have to come to terms with not having it at all? Um, and they make those decisions beforehand, then suddenly the food obsession starts to lift, because there's not this... Um, need to make those decisions all day long and they find that they're capable of doing things they couldn't do and the essence of what you've done is you've moved your important food decisions from your whims impulses and emotions to your intellect see you haven't solved your emotional problems if you're depressed you still be depressed if you're angry you still be angry if you're exuberant you'll still be exuberant what you've done is you've severed the link between the emotions and overeating and so now it's like building a really good fireplace around the fire. It's okay if the fire still rages. As a matter of fact, it might be nice if it's burning, you know, because think of the, the analogy in a living room, people gather around and make memories and becomes a center of heart and home, but you got to have a good fireplace. So that, that's what we do. That's what we do. I absolutely love that. I've never heard that analogy, analogy but it makes, it makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense because then you say you're, rem you're, rem you're, you're removing the part of the food from your emotions to your intellect which makes a lot more sense instead of because a lot of times with us we feel like rewarding ourselves i've had a bad day you know what i need some chocolate i need some this i need some that you know because i'm have to reward myself just with the same mentality of cheating oh yeah. you know i've been a good boy for the entire week so let's have a burger and fries and everything and just celebrate the fact that i ate good for the last six days and that's just ruined my diet and start all over again right. <laughs> but right, right. so i absolutely love that so thank you for sharing that um with with my audience i was actually laughing too when you mentioned about uh the the the, the what's it the fat cat with the mustache fat cats and like, suits with mustaches laughing yeah. on one of the bank yeah i know i'm like you know i don't know why they have to have a mustache maybe they don't have a mustache <laughs> <laughs> Well, and why, why do they have to be a he? They could certainly be a she, and they don't have to be fat. They could be skinny, but it's it's just, it's just an iconic image. To I'm trying to pry people away from the guilt and shame that they feel, um, because in our culture we, we make people feel as if there's something wrong with them or that they're they're sick if they're having trouble with their eating. When the truth is, 
just about everybody has some trouble with their eating. Just about everybody at some points eats beyond their own best judgment. And our society is a setup to create trouble with your eating. You could do a thought experiment. Do you think there was such a thing as food addiction 100,000 years ago in the savannah? You know, oh, Wilma, fag eat too much mammoth. I, I, I don't think that that, <laughs> I, don't, <laughs> I, think, I don't think that that happened. I don't think that happened. I think that food, food addiction is a byproduct of the hyper palatable foods that are available today. I mean, we didn't even have fire until 15,000 years ago, so we couldn't really make these condensed versions of, um, you know, carbohydrates and, and fats. And we couldn't affect all of the uh, gustatory changes to food that we can now with fire. And I'm not saying it's necessarily a bad thing. Mm -hmm. I, I'm just saying that um, if you want to prove to yourself that it's not because you're sick, it's because there's something going on in a society, then think about what life is like 100,000 years ago and think about Thag and Wilma and you say, okay, yeah, yeah, I, it's not necessarily all me. That doesn't mean I can't, you have to take responsibility for fighting it. Um, and I'll tell you how I did that in a little bit if you want to. But, but um, so, so. so you're saying that we didn't have honey buns and uh, Doritos and stuff like you know, a thousand years ago. Right? As far as I know, as far as I know, there wasn't a McDonald's on the we, Savannah. We, we might be wrong. We might be wrong, right? <laughs> We, we weren't there. We don't have a time machine. So yeah. it, it might be coming. It might be coming. Make enough money. I might be able to fund the okay. research. Okay. We're going to work on that. I, but I yeah, but get, I'll get you the um, dilithium crystals and the quantum flux converter. And we're, we're off, off to the races. We're off to the races. Exactly. But seriously, though, yes, I, I, I love the analogy. I love how you piece things together. I think you are 100% correct. Every, even myself, I've had my own little struggles with food as well. Um, Oreos was my thing. If I had a bad day, honey bun was my thing. And I'll guess what you could have called skinny fat, you know, yeah. one of those. Um, but since the, I've made changes in my life, I no longer crave those things. And the reason why is because my relationship with food is completely different mm -hmm. and how I look at food is completely different. Um, one of the biggest things, though, that I tell individuals is I don't starve myself. You know, that's why I don't focus on calories. I don't starve myself. I'm hungry. I'm, I eat. The difference is my body physically craves different foods yeah. because my gut environment is different. So <laughs> I actually want to eat different foods, but I don't look at my time and say, you know what? I'm hungry, but I only I over my calories for the day. So I can't eat. I don't do anything like that. If I'm hungry, I eat. However, my body is optimized to do that. And that feeling of that freedom of I can eat healthy, enjoy what I eat, feel amazing. That's the whole premise. Well, well, a big part, I should say, of the matter over mind experience is getting you to feel that freedom and feel amazing within yourself physically. And with so that, that so, you actually, so you actually want healthy foods. Exactly. You, you actually crave healthy. Yeah. And people, people don't really have to believe us because you won't believe us in the beginning because of the you know, neurological mechanisms that prevent you from believing us and get you all addicted to these foods. Um, but if, if you go through a period of withdrawing um, or regulating most hyperpalatable food, what happens is your taste buds will upregulate and you'll start, to, you'll start to experience pleasure from the things that nature wanted you to experience pleasure from. Exactly. Right? And their companies also have, have used our power law, for example, and other mechanisms to make the foods more palatable. And, and like you said, they would actually take some nutrients out of the food to make it more palatable. So at the moment you eat it, 
you just want more, you'll want more, you'll want more, you want more. And we're falling at the mercy of that. And that's that's one reason why I had this as a question to be done to ask Dr. Glenn, mm-hmm. but he's already answered it. Why he's uniquely qualified <laughs> to comment on these because he has so much experience on, on not just working with companies, but doing the research and also on his own personal growth. So thank you so much for sharing that. Now, with that being said, um, when, 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 what do you mean when you say, and I love this quote from you, you say character trumps willpower. What do you mean by that? Yeah, that's an important concept. Um, when you go into a diner and there's a $20 bill on the table and the waitress didn't see it, it's her tip. And she says, sit down, I'll be right back. I'm just going to go get you a menu. And there are no windows and there are no video cameras. There's nobody up front that's going to see it. Would you take that $20 bill? You, you wouldn't, would you? No, no, that's a question for me. No, I wouldn't. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. you, you wouldn't. It's, it's a rhetorical question, really. The reason you wouldn't take it is because you're not a thief, right? There is a temptation right in front of you. You could get away with it. Um, but it's not, most people will tell me it's not even a question that they would take the $20 bill because this woman worked hard for her money and they're not a thief. You've got this unwritten law of character that says, I never steal. I never take other people's money. Um, Character is what we habitually do in the face of temptation, right? That's that's all that character is. It's, It's the decisions that we habitually make without even thinking about it in the face of temptation. So when I say that I will never have chocolate again, or I'll only ever have chocolate on Saturday. For, for me, it's I'll never have it again. I just don't want people to feel like they have to do that. Um, if I say I will never have chocolate again, what I'm really saying is I'm the, I've become the kind of person who doesn't eat chocolate. It's not a decision I have to make every day. It's the same way as someone will say, well, I, I'm, I adhere to a kosher philosophy. I, I don't eat non-kosher food, or I'm a vegan, or I, I'm... Um, you know, it's, it's a matter of principle for me. It's a matter of um, who I am in the world. I, I'm just a person who doesn't eat chocolate. You ask someone, could you give up chocolate forever? They'll all say no. You ask them, do you think you could become a person who doesn't eat chocolate? They'll say maybe. Character trumps willpower. And so what you want to do at, at first when you make these rules, and our, our system is rules-based, and there are some people who would object to that, and you can go down those arguments if you want to. But... Um, but our system is rules-based. And when you say, when you're, what you're really doing is making character commitments and character commitments are much easier to keep to than rules. At first, at first it feels like maybe you installed some Nazi food, maybe you installed some Nazi food policeman in your head. And you're like, who wants to use the system? But then as you get used to it, as your, as your pleasure systems adjust, as you feed your body healthy, you can't just eliminate chocolate. You have to say, what am I gonna have instead? And for me, I experimented with all sorts of things, and I eventually came to a kale banana smoothie. Um, and I, I get the same, I don't get the same high. Chocolate has the overmean and caffeine and you know, sugar and fat and you know, all, all types of delicious things. So I don't get the same high from it that I would from a chocolate bar. But when I have a kale banana smoothie, um, when I have that kind of feeling, I don't really get the cravings for chocolate anymore. It's more than years. Um, but the, the craving would go away. I would feel content, wouldn't feel high, but I would feel content. And so as long as you are willing to make the adjustments that you're talking about, Narado, 
um, and eat the healthy foods, then over time, your brain learns to crave those healthy foods. You just have to go through those, that first month or so um, and your whole system adjusts. So right. I love that. A character trumps willpower. That's absolutely fantastic because that ties into basically everything that we have been talking about. Because then you say to yourself, okay, I need to start making some gradual changes. Because I think the, the first thing, and I thought we were talking about the relationship with food, we think, okay, I have to starve myself to lose weight. I got to exercise all this and drop all my, drop my calories and do all that stuff or whatever, right? Without which, which never works. And if it does, if you, it may work for a short period of time, but it's not, it's not lasting, right? Our bodies need nutrients. We all know that, right? So that's, but then we start to make the character changes. Okay, you know what? If I start to make gradual changes and eliminate certain things, that I do not need. Like you said, we always have to eliminate. And some things you may not eliminate, but you may do it less in situations like you say, if I will eat bread when I go to a restaurant. Very well-defined situations. Yes. Exactly. And, and, and very defined amounts. Exactly. And you exactly. And you make those changes. Then over time, you realize physiology, your physiology would change. You will actually start to crave less. And we have the science behind it. We know about gut bacteria. Uh, we know about prebiotics and postbiotics. And well, all those are tied into, into weight. And I've talked about it on my show a million times. So we know all about, my audience knows this stuff already. So you, you're pretty much tying everything together. And, it, and something that um, Dr. David Prologo said, uh, his episode is uh, two, I think a week or two before this one. He has a fantastic with the catching point. And in, what, in, in his entire premise, one thing he says is, your body will give you signals that is changing. So just listen to it, which ties into exactly what you're saying, right? Because as you're making those gradual changes, you start to realize your cravings will change. Your energy levels will change. Your mind may even become a little bit clearer. You may say you even feel stronger. You may feel fitter. You may have more motivation because as your body starts giving you those little, little, those little uh, signals that is changing, listen to it and adjust to it. And that's when it becomes a journey and a lifestyle. And that's why I always at the end of my podcast, I always say what? Enjoy the ride. And that's what we're talking about. Enjoying the ride. But Absolutely. I, think, I think you have more to add there, Dom, Dr. Glenn. So well, what, what I wanted to say about why character trumps willpower also is that if you're just focused on the rule alone, I will never have chocolate again, then you've got this Nazi policeman in your head. But if you're saying I, I want to become, I'm in the process of becoming a person who doesn't have chocolate. You start asking yourself, well, what else does a person who doesn't have chocolate do? Well, they probably go shopping for alternatives and they stock up their house and maybe they pre-plan their food out for the week. And they probably ask themselves, are there any, are there any other self-care activities I need to engage in? Do I find that when I have the craving for chocolate, it's because I really need a break because I've been making decisions all day at work or taking the kids to soccer practice or, you know, arguing with my husband or something like that. Um, do I need to make sure that I get a nap? Do I need to exercise? Do I need to do some journaling? You, you start to ask yourself what other habits and personality supports should I put in place um, to become this person who never eats chocolate again? So that, that's what I mean when I say character trumps, trumps willpower. That's, that's amazing. I absolutely love it. I've never used those terms, that, that particular slogan before, but I absolutely love it. And I, I'm 100%. We're seeing eye to eye, maybe because we're wearing the same glasses pretty much. Are you wearing <laughs> the same glasses, dude? Look at that. <laughs> right. So we're seeing eye to eye. I 100% agree with you. So yes, I definitely agree. And this now is going to take us to basically the finale. 
the hack of the episode, what we've been waiting for, right? How can you create your own food plan? Well, I recommend you start with one simple rule. I recommend you ask yourself, what's one thing that I couldn't would do that is not too onerous, but it would make a big difference? I'll give you some examples of some things other people have done. Um, there's this truck driver, and he had a lot of weight to lose. And he had to eat at fast food stops all day long, just for the nature of his job, three times a day. He says, I'm not going to stop eating at fast food joints. But what he decided he could do was not go back for seconds. And he made that one simple rule. And just by not going back for seconds, he started down a path, which eventually caused him to lose 150 pounds. Um, other people will make a rule that supports mindfulness, like I always put my fork down between bites, or I never eat in front of a screen, or something like that. Um, some people will create rules that regulate certain addictive substances. It's usually sugar, flour, alcohol, something like that. So maybe they'll say, the only sweet taste I'm ever going to have are, you know, whole fruit, berries, stevia, and, you know, one slice of birthday cake at birthday celebrations, or something like that. Um, and I'm not arguing for that type of restriction. I'm just saying that's a way that you could do it. But one simple thing that you could and would do, it's important to simplify it because what our reptilian brains want to do um, is they want to set the bar too high. They want to say, okay, you want to be good, be very, very, very good so that when you're bad, you're going to be really hard. And they stay on this feast and famine roller coaster. Um, see, the other side of overeating is undereating. And what you want to do if you want to get off that roller coaster is flood your body with nutrition on a slight caloric deficit if you need to lose weight. That's what you want to do. Regular, signal your brain that, that, that there is no famine coming. Regular, reliable nutrition day in and day out. Don't try to make up for the binge with, you know, with a fast. Make up for you know, a one-day binge with a full week of normal eating instead. It's, it's a much better way to step off the roller coaster. So, okay, you do that. How much time do I have? Do I, do I have four more minutes or do I need to wrap it up? Go ahead, go ahead. Okay. So what you need to understand is that when you have that urge that says, who cares about your diet? Who cares about all the promises you made? Just give me the chocolate bar and nobody gets hurt. That's a physiological urge. That's an activation. It's a misfiring of your emergency response system. The emergency response system is largely associated with the sympathetic nervous system. That's the nervous system that prepares us for action. If a hungry bear was chasing you, you'd start breathing really quickly, running as fast as you could, your adrenaline would surge and you would take action. You wouldn't sit back and strategize and think, gee, should I go this way or that way? Or, you know, um, maybe I should read this book first before I decide how to attack the bear. You would just go. Right. They do that in horror movies, though. So I don't know. <laughs> I know. I know. Like, like, don't go in there. Put the axe back. Um, <laughs> what's wrong with you? Um, so, so you have to recognize that when you have that urge, that's not your best self. That's your lower self being activated just to preserve your survival at the moment. So you need to get out of that frame of mind. So the first thing you need to do is recognize it. And having a really clear rule allows you to recognize it. You can say your lizard brain is squealing whenever you hear or think or feel something that says you should break your role. So I will never have chocolate again. Oh, well, I worked out hard enough today. Maybe I could have chocolate you know, at, at Starbucks after I'm not going to get any weight. That's a squeal. I say, okay, 
I'm thinking about crossing the line, that's a squeal. So let me take a deep breath and breathe out for longer than I breathe in. We call them 7-11 breaths. If you breathe in for a count of seven and you breathe out for a count of 11, I'm not doing it now because it takes a while, and you do that a couple of times, you're going to activate the other nervous system of your body, which is called the parasympathetic nervous system that calms you down and says, now it's time to rest and digest and think and strategize. So you're getting out of that emergency response thing. Then what you wanna do is you want to write down exactly the thought that you're having that's suggesting you should break your rule. So you worked out hard enough, you can afford a chocolate bar, you're not gonna gain any weight and you could just start again tomorrow, it'll be just as easy. Um, that's what my lucid brain is actually saying to convince me to break the rule. So, uh, oh, and by, by the way, the reason the 7-Eleven breaths work is that if you were being chased by a hungry bear, you wouldn't have time to breathe out for longer than you breathe in. So breathing out for longer than you breathe in signals your lower brain that you're not in an emergency situation. Then you wanna write down what the lizard brain said because writing is an upper brain activity as far as we know, and binging is a lower brain activity. So that also moves the battleground to the realm of words and intellect and thinking and wrestling and digesting as opposed to you know, fighting for your fighting for your meals and pulling every scrap that you can. Once you've done that, take another breath, another 7-Eleven breath, and ask yourself, why is what the reptilian brain is squealing? Why is that wrong? How is it lying to me? Well, for, ex for example, it's probably not going to just be one chocolate bar. I know from my history that it's not going to be one or a bite or two ounces. It's going to be six chocolate bars and a pizza to wash it down. So that's the first way that it's lying to me. The second way is that it says it's going to be just as easy to start tomorrow. But the truth is, the way the brain works is called the principle of neuroplasticity, that what wires together, what fires together, wires together. So if you have a craving and you reinforce it with chocolate, you're more likely to have that craving tomorrow. That craving is going to be stronger. Similarly, if you have a thought, like let's just start tomorrow, and you reinforce that thought with chocolate, you're more likely to have that thought tomorrow. So you're actually digging a deeper hole for yourself. And if you're in a hole, you should stop digging. Just use the present moment to be healthy. So you want to just kind of summarize. Have a rule. Recognize when there's a thought inside your head that suggests that you break the rule. Um, go through the breathing exercise and the writing exercise to get out of your lower brain when it gets active. Then ask yourself, what specifically is wrong with the lizard brain's logic? And then the last thing you do is you say, how does this make me a happier or better person to keep, the, the, keep to my commitments and my upper brain and not go along with the lower brain? And um, you know, that's how you start to build your character like that. And then eat something healthy if you need it. Don't, your lower brain will say, it's either the chocolate bar or you're going to starve. Well, maybe I did need a little extra food, but you know, could I go get a salad or a piece of chicken or whatever is on your your dietary philosophy, right? Um, so that, that's the hack. That's the hack is to, to start with one simple rule and then you can add rules after that once you feel like you're successful. But I usually give people a week or two to work with one simple rule um, so they can get the hang of playing the game and uh, taking themselves out of that emergency response system. I absolutely love that because you touch, you're touching on topics that we've covered at different points or in the different episodes of the show of um, different episodes of um, of the podcast, right? 
So we've talked about the uh, rest and digest. Very important because we're supposed to eat in a rest and digest state, not a fight or flight. I always say, who fights and eats at the same time? Like you're like on yes. guard. And then, you know? Yes. Oh, that's so smart. Yes. <laughs> right. Yeah. So rest and digest. We know the importance of the vagal tone. That's so important. One of the things I do is uh, I play my guitar before I eat. Oh. And if um and I'll take a break and then I'll play another song to slow myself down in the mid in middle in the middle of me in the middle of my of me eating. So I may play about two, maybe even three songs before I'm pretty sure with my entire meal. And that helps to slow me down, right? So that'll be my version of this the breathing Brilliant. technique, right? Yeah. Because we know that it also um, activates your vagus nerve. So we talked about that. The breathing, we've discussed that as well. It's very important. Find ways to slow yourself down. I didn't think about the bear thing. I'm like, if you're running from a tiger, running from a bear, you don't have time to go... <laughs> right, right, right. You're, you're in a horror, right. Yeah. Unless you're in a horror movie, right? But you don't right. have time to do that, right? So that's that's really great. And then with the writing, you're you're moving it, you're moving it from let's say the emotional or lower brain activity to more of a higher brain activity, right? So you you're now looking at you you looking at your character. You're taking control of yourself and control of your decisions. I love how you package that. That's absolutely fantastic. That's the piece I'm going to take out and put on Instagram and on TikTok on and uh, on my Facebook, on my YouTube appreciate as well. Appreciate because I appreciate you because that is absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much. And with that being said, let my audience know how can they get in touch with you? I got a bunch of things for you. If you go to neverbingeagain.com, I click the big red button. First thing I have is a free copy of the book in Kindle, Nook, or PDF format. It has over 14,000 reviews, by the way. So we're over a million readers and 14,000 reviews, and we're on to something. Um, there's nobody behind me bragging about me, so I'm telling you myself. Um, I will also give you a set of recorded coaching sessions because um, I want you to hear what this is like in practice. It sounds a little, a little weird. You're kind of fighting this inner part of yourself. But I want you to hear how it's possible to go from feeling despairing and hopeless and confused and helpless with food to feeling optimistic and encouraged and enthusiastic in just 45 minutes. I want you to hear that. This is all free. Um, and I'll also give you a set of food plan starter templates. So these are you know sets of rules that people have worked out over time for different dietary philosophy. Um, myself, I'm a, my program is diet agnostic. As long as you're eating any reasonable philosophy, we can work with you. If you want to figure out how to live on chocolate bars and donuts all day long, I can't help you. Or if you want to be a breatharian, I can't help you. But um, if you've got a reasonable plan and you're going to flood your body with nutrition, then we can find a way to help you. Um, so, so myself, I'm a whole foods plant-based person, but we have you know, we have sets of rules for low-carb people and keto people and sets of rules for um, you know, point counters and calorie counters. And the point is we want to help you get started. And I'm not a medical doctor. I'm a psychologist, PhD, um, and I don't have a nutritional license or a dietitian's license. Um, so I'm not qualified to tell you exactly what to eat, but I can show you a structure of mind that helps you to stick to it as long as it's a reasonable plan. So go to neverbingeagain.com click the big red button. We do have the hard, hard, you know, the paperback and the audible version available that those do cost money. And we, we've got seven other books that we've written. Um, but the main book is free, neverbingeagain.com. Click the big red button. 
neverbitchagain.com, the big better big oh I messed that up. I messed that up again. The big red button. The big say, red say, button. Say it three times fast. <laughs> I let me try that. The big red button, the big red button, big red button. Hey, there we go. I got can, it. Can you say this three times fast? Good blood, bad blood. Good blood, bad blood, good blood, bad blood. Good blood, bad blood. No, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> I think I hit my limit for today. I think I okay. need to go eat breakfast. All right. Thank you, Dr. Glenn, though. This is a fantastic interview. Of course, you know, his contact information will be in the show notes. I believe this one's going to be ZikaHealth.com slash uh, um, Glenn L, I believe. Glenn, double N. Double N, Glenn. Double N, Glenn. I might just, I know what, let's do this. ZikaHealth.com slash double N, Glenn. So it's going to be two N's. And then it's going to be Glenn <laughs> after that. That's yeah, how we're going to put two ends at the end of Glenn also. Is the thing, so. Exactly. It's going to two ends at the beginning. Or you could just put it at Never Binge Again. Let's go with that. Yeah. You can help com slash Never Binge Again. They'll remember that. Yeah. Let's go with that. That's what's going to go with it. Took, it took us a while to get there, but we're there. Okay. So thank you so much and uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Okay. Thanks, Loretta. Nice to see you. You too. Thanks for joining the Matter Over Mind Experience. If you got good content out of this or any of my shows, save, subscribe, and share it with anyone who needs this information. Remember, always take the scenic route and enjoy the